a game uh will decker here with jamal madney recapping what was this year's sun bowl unfortunately it was a 37 35 loss that ucla uh you know gave away the game there's really no nice way to put it uh we had a 28 to 14 lead in the second half um we had dorian thompson robinson make some critical mistakes and which is unfortunately the last time we'll see him on the field the defense was atrocious, to put it lightly. Um, and, you know, I, I just think every aspect of the game, we were outcoached, outhustled, outmanned. And there's no two ways about that. You know, whether it comes down to special teams mistakes, Jaden Marshall botching the kick return. And the thing that hurts the most, I think, Madman, uh, before I turn it over to you, is they were missing their four best players, and they still did this to us. I mean, it is, you know, without the likes of a Keaton Slovis, a Kalija Kansi, uh, Abba Nakonda, you know, the All-American running back, and Servokia Dennis. This is as bad as it gets, man. I, I, I am trying to find a silver light. I think this is the worst loss of the Chip Kelly era by a wide margin. You know, it's worse than the Arizona loss this year. It's worse than the Fresno State loss uh, last year. It's worse than the opening game against Cincinnati in Chip's inaugural season. Madman, just give me your initial reactions because it is it's bleak after this. There's not a lot of good things coming from it. Yeah, well, you know, obviously very, very disappointing. I think it's important for us to to sort of zoom back a little bit and 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 have a little bit of perspective uh, on the game in totality. I think the game got off to a terrific start with um, DTR and, and just his ability to, to throw the ball down the field. There was a dimension there that we just hadn't seen all year, uh, in particular on those inside slants. You know, that first drive, that inside slant to Cam Brown, and then obviously finished it with Loya in the flat, that second drive, uh, hitting TMA deep uh, and, and being able to pull that in for a touchdown. Uh, on that touchdown drive, obviously peppering the ball, um, you know, to – Cam Brown had over 100 yards at halftime. TMA was getting involved. Just some really good throws. The, the, the TMA, again, inside slant touchdown. You know, the UCLA got to, to 21 fairly easily in this game, and then everything kind of stopped. I think there were a couple of critical moments, uh, and, and you, you know, you and I and, and Ryan were talking about this over the course of the game, Will. Obviously, there was that one moment at 14-6 with the ball driving, um, and then, you know, the ball was a little high and, and a little too hot to handle for Loya. Tipped interception, pick comes back, gets a touchdown, two-point conversions, 14-14 again. UCLA reestablishes things at 21-14. And then again, a little bit too too much of a fastball behind Ezekiel, tipped again, another interception, um, and that kind of settled the game. And, and despite that, then we kind of came back with that pick six with Davies up 28-14, um, but then Pitt, I thought, did a really nice job of answering and played with a lot of hustle. Hammond, their backup running back, I think played with a lot of uh, physicality, a lot of tenacity, really got after it. 
And then I think where things really shifted was that third DTR interception at the beginning of the fourth quarter where TMA was wide open, but he just didn't see the linebacker in the flat at all, got intercepted. And then it became this sort of nip-tuck game. And it was just very unfortunate to see DTR get hurt and, you know, sort of end his, his Bruin career in that fashion. I think, Will, what was a little bit interesting was I think it's a lesson in identity. And I, I think you and I have sort of talked about this at length. Chip Kelly offenses, and especially this iteration of Chip Kelly, is a run-first offense. And I think there was sort of an emphasis early in the game to show, and even the commentators on CBS uh, mentioned it, to, to kind of showcase some of DTR's talents to the scouts, much in the way a Mitchell Trubisky played in this game, much in the way a young Kenny Pickett played in this game. And that combined with knowing that they were 285 yards away from Cade McNown's passing record, I think there was a pass-first orientation and flow. They tried a couple runs early in the game with Keegan Jones. They stuffed them. And then Keegan Jones was very effective out of the backfield in the screen game. That loosened things up, and we were peppering the ball all over the place. But we went away from the run game. We went away from the run game and that identity. And then we got a little loose with the ball. That's kind of what happens when you throw so much. Uh, given what your personnel is, and then couldn't quite get back to the run game in time to solidify the game. I thought that last drive, Chip actually did a masterful job of looking at the way Pitt was playing the zone on the back end and snuck those two runs in with Harden. I thought that was fantastic um, to be able to kind of capture the lead at the end, but then the defense let us down in, in a significant way. I thought the secondary was atrocious today. I thought just all, all levels of the defense will. So I, I, I hear it. I hear the frustration with, with the coaching and, and, and whatnot. But to me, this one was, this one was on the players, you know, I mean, two of those, inter all three of those interceptions were bad reads. The defense, you know, with a backup quarterback, a guy who really, a guy in, in Patty who was contemplating retirement before this game, you know, comes in, throws two darts on that final drive and then shakes Carl Jones Jr., to get that first down to spike the ball and they kick it. So really tough way to, to end the season here, Will. We don't get the 10 wins. We don't get the top 25 finish. Um, but, you know, and, and we don't get to send uh, this first wave of chip seniors out the right way. So uh, a deflating loss, certainly. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I do think players deserve a lot of blame. But, you know, I've come back to the coaching, man. It, it, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And this secondary for the entire Chip Kelly tenure has been abysmal. And the one play that comes to mind, this wasn't even in the later parts of the game, is Nick Patty kind of escaped a blitz. I think it was the second quarter. It was that drive. They were looking to tie the game. And he floated up just an absolute duck. It was like a 40-yard duck in the air. Azizi Hearn was there covering Wayne, and Wayne hauled in the catch. And you just go, are you kidding me? Like, this is like a pop fly, you know, the equivalent of a can of corn in baseball, like to just knock it down and make a play, and no secondary could do it. The iconic thing was the third stringer came in for a play. Uh, after Patty threw a dime. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? So, like, yeah. it is – it is just a systematic problem and Norwood, great guy. You know, I, he was, you know, working, I believe it was the air force or the Navy before he got there really respect him as a coach and a man.
But boy, if something is not working, you have to make the change. And it is time. It is time. Like Chip Kelly is an off. We should not even be talking about this loss right now. This boils down to everything that the defense did. And, you know, it was a full, complete loss. It was a meltdown on all areas. I thought the offensive line was miserable today, too. I mean, you look at the pressures that Garbers was getting at the end of that game. I think he took two or three sacks when you cannot afford to give it up at that point with no timeouts. You know, I was getting shades of South Alabama, Madman. Like, Waynes has a touchdown, a walk-in touchdown from Patty. Drops it. I'm going, what the hell? They go for it on fourth and one. Mind you, they're four for four in the game on fourth and one. They fumble the football, giving us a chance. We did take it to the house on that drive. And, you know, one of the positives, Harden looked great. TJ Harden, if we are trying to get, you know, some sort of silver lining out of this, we got, we got RB number one next year. Our guy, TJ Harden, is going to be that guy. But I want to take you before this, uh, kind of the sequence of the offensive series before I send it back to you and kind of keep going. So start of the second half, seven plays, 58 yards. Another interception in the red zone from DTR. We get the ball back, three plays, seven yards, punts. Uh, Pitt gets an interception. or uh, Jalen Davies gets the pick six. We take the touchdown. Uh, we get the ball back, three plays, seven yards, punts. Next time we get the ball back, pick deep in our own territory uh, by DTR. We punt again. We turn over on downs the next one. Madman, before the last drive where we took the touchdown the lead, we had 27 yards of total offense in the second. Yeah, and you forgot to mention the fumble, too. So fumble. <laughs> yeah. It was brutal, man. It is yeah. an absolute brutal showing. Where does this rank in terms of UCLA losses to you? Because I am just I, – I'm out, I have no words in my vocabulary to describe what I just saw. Well, no- you know, it's, uh, you're, you're talking to a guy that's lived through a lot of them, you know. So it's, uh, there's been some tough ones over the years. Look, Narduzzi's a really good coach. And, and Pitt, you know, is always well-disciplined, you know, ready to play. They didn't have their four best players. I mean, this, this is a tough loss. This was a game that – we expected oh, to win going away. We expected to win by between two and three touchdowns. And, and really, this was going away. I, you know, Will, you, you said something interesting earlier, and, and I want to sort of double down on that. And that is Pitt mismanaged this game about as poorly as South Alabama mismanaged the, the game in September. I mean, it, l- let's kind of look at the sequence a little bit here. 31-28, you mentioned Wayne just drops the ball and then it pops in. Ostling drops the ball. But then what was fascinating to me is that Pitt got the first down. You mentioned it on that fourth and one, that inside slant. I mean, Blaylock, there was 10 yards between the, the slot man and Blaylock. But it's first and goal at the five. They run it. And then they throw two more times. And then they decide to go for it on fourth down. And, and I was like, well, if you were going to go for it on fourth down anyway, why didn't you try to run the ball at least on second and third down to sort of punch the game away? Then they did themselves a favor by going on, uh, having the false start to force the field goal. And then the whole situation on the 34-28 possession where they could have actually kicked the field goal. The kicker was money. If, if they kicked the field goal there, they probably win the game. But going for it on fourth and one, they couldn't even – have the quarterback running back exchange on fourth and one, Will. I mean, it was just gifted to us. And then 
earlier in the game, that might have been, you know how you and I talk about that South Alabama play, the fake field goal. Was the worst, worst even the worst play call in the history of college football. I know, right? this, let me tell you something. This Patty interception was the worst interception on a screen pass I have ever seen in my life. The guy missed the running back by five feet. It went over his head. Davies was almost shocked that he caught the ball and then it just kind of jogged in. I mean, so they definitely tried their best uh, to be able to give us this game, and, and we just wouldn't take it. And I think, again, I think the offense lost flow will after that second interception. I think, I think DTR got into his head a little bit after that second pick because the first pick, things were still rolling. I was like, okay, that was one mistake on me. We're going to keep it rolling. And then after that second pick, I think he got into his head a little bit and his reads just weren't as sharp. I mean, 263 yards and three total touchdowns in the first half, uh, Will, and then 19 yards on two for eight and two interceptions in the second half. And the tragic thing of all was we thought he was going to break the record by halftime. He didn't end up breaking the record at all and, and having to leave the game uh, sort of limping off the field. I, I thought it was getting set up where they might shoot him up, uh, you know, in the locker room and he'd come back for one last drive to try and win the game. I thought that would have been an incredible way. But then even after getting the lead, Will, I, I was very disappointed in the defense. 34 seconds, no timeouts. Pitt inexcusably blew both their timeouts. With a backup quarterback. With a backup, backup quarterback. quarterback. And, and you know, you roll out and – and, and that's part of the problem here, Will, is that guys, I mean, you've got 50-year guys back there, Osling, Blaylock. We got guys that we believe are talented and Davies and others. And just the level of space that was available, it just was really, really disappointing to see. And we'll see what happens with Moasa and we'll see what happens with Latu. But this needs to be from the ground up. We have to sort of think differently philosophically about this defense. And I think... So much of the conversation in who we've gotten, obviously, Dante and the backs with Atkins and so much of the conversation. But I think there really needs to be an emphasis now from now until the close of the transfer portal to really bring defensive minded guys into this roster. This, this was a very difficult loss, Will, considering what was at stake. And so it leaves you feeling a little bit empty going into the offseason, and, and now, you know, we're just hungry for the spring to come here. This was a, a tough way to go, you know, and not not finishing in the top 25 hurts, considering this was a team that at one point was 8-1 and one with an opportunity to play in the college football playoff, to win a Pac-12, to go and win and play a Rose Bowl, and now in just four games with the three losses to go from that to, to most likely being unranked to finish the season, really tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and – you know, I, I saw some of the same problems that USC had in their Pac-12 championship game. And it was it just boiled down to toughness. Like, how many times did Nestler and Danielson remark on Hammond extending plays that were just yeah. like piles? I mean, yeah. I, I could count like five or six times where he got three or four extra yards just from being tougher than the, you know, the opponent on those. It was a physical, like the pit offensive line was great. You know, Latu got a sack, but it was the only one we got. By the way, you know, pretty dark podcast by all means, but shout out to our guy Latu for getting in the double digits for sacks. That is a huge lead and a half on the year. It was just everything. And I think this begs the question. I know you, you're more on the player side. I think I'm more on the coaching at this point just because I've seen it time and time again as someone that's covered it. I think the biggest storyline for UCLA football fans 
is McGovern has his contract coming up next year. Who they get to mold the defense after McGovern because, you know, I think he this could be a fireable offense if I was there. They're lucky I'm not, you know, Ari Golden Entourage coming in with the paintball gun, shooting up the locker room going, get out. You know what I mean? So I, I'm i just fumed, you know, as somebody that really covers this program, has put a lot into UCLA stuff. So, like, and, and where, I'll, where I'll defend it, and I'm not defending McGovern, I'm not defending the defense, Will, and, in, in this way, shape, or form. You can't. But at the same time, those turnovers put this team in some pretty incredible predicaments. You know, when you yeah. when you have interceptions, I mean, the interception, the, the four turnovers were so critical because two of them were inside the UCLA 20-yard line. You, you basically gave Pitt two possessions to start off in the red zone. And then the other two uh, interceptions basically took short touchdowns away. I mean, and so there's just such a violent swing of events that takes place there. And for the most part, look, Patty still was under 50% passing on the day. It wasn't like he was torching anyone uh, in that regard. He's not very good. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Um, but it just, it, you know, players have to step up sometimes. Well, and I agree with you. I think there is going to need to be a change uh, moving forward. Yeah. But, you know, these guys are fifth-year guys. I mean, Blaylock, fifth-year. Osling, fifth-year. Moasau, fourth-year. Latu, third-year. Murphy twins have had now a year's worth of, of Division One experience, and they were they were pretty bad from a discipline standpoint. Well, I think there was a lot of opportunities there where I think the refs, you know, kept the flags in their pocket in terms of roughing the passers. I mean, there were some real late shots both those guys had on Patty, kind of <laughs> tripped him on the way down, kind of gave him some excuse-me uh. long taps. But I'll tell you, and Will, I'll, I'll add a little bit of levity here. Toughest guy on the field by leaps and bounds in this game was the pit punter, okay? The fact that that guy took a helmet in the gonads, and that wasn't By the way, by the way, all UCLA fans, we were all like, we did it again. We screwed it. Yeah. He took one to the gonads and proceeded to punt it 85 yes. yards. Yeah. No, he was, he was, that, that's that's Ironman stuff right there. Toughest player on the field by leaps and bounds was the pit punter today. There's no question about that. Yeah, man. I think the pit punter has Mr. Olympic in his future, man. So, like, <laughs> he just just the toughness he showed. The 85-yard punt, I was, like, just floored. I had never seen a longer punt while watching a live game. I've seen some of the old, like, Ray Guy clips back on YouTube. But it was nothing compared to what we saw from the pit punter. Um you know, we've gotten through, and, and, and to your point, like, I am harping on the defense. This was a systematic failure on all levels. Like, every position group outside of the wide receiver room. I was very impressed with the wide receiver room. That is the one area I think we got some positives moving forward to next year. But I'm with you, you know, quarterback. There's, there's interceptions and there's levels to interceptions. And the ones that DTR threw today – all three incredibly backbreaking, two in the red zone and one deep in your own territory. So, I mean, they were just – they were the worst picks you can possibly imagine. But we're going to get to – we're going to get to something positive here. We're going to talk about the wide receiver room. We had the preview pod this week kind of talking about, you know, we're losing, you know, our top few pass catchers. We want to see some people stand out. I think from a positive standpoint, Cam Brown looked terrific today. Like – this guy surpassed 100 yards easily in the first half. Looked great. TMA made the two, arguably the two biggest catches of the day. The one where over the shoulder with the defender draped on him, 
how he held on to that football gives me confidence. And I know even Loya, you know, had the, you know, extended, uh, you know, drop that led to an interception, but, you know, he did score a touchdown too. So, I mean, he at least made a play in the moment. And I think that brings me to my next point. I'm not worried about the wide receiver room going into next year. If you look at, you know, some of the things that you talk about often are pedigree, right? Where are these guys coming from? TMA was a four-star receiver coming out of high school. This guy's talented. This guy can play. He just needs to be put in the right situation. Loya, four-star receiver coming out of high school. This guy can play. Cam Brown, not a four-star, but a high three-star level recruit. And he was at Texas A&M. So he's playing SEC football. I'm not worried about these guys next year, especially with maybe more of a precision like passer and Dante Moore. And we did get some interesting news during the game too. Chip said to not rule out Garbers for the quarterback spot. I don't know if you heard that too. Yeah, It's going to make that quarterback battle very, very fun to watch and gives us storylines throughout the offseason. So I'm very excited about that. What was your take on the wide receiver room, Madman? Because I came away in maybe the only positive of the day for UCLA feeling very impressed. No, Will, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I, you know, when you asked me a couple of days ago, who, who are the players that you really wanted to see play well and show out? And I know we talked a little bit about the Jaden Marshalls and the Kamari Ramseys and, and some of the newer kids, but I, I went back to say, listen, I, I'd love to see TMA and Cam Brown and Loya play big because that's going to be some combination of those guys is going to be wide receiver one, two, and three. And so for me, the, the takeaway there is that this receiving room, at least there's a semblance of credible guys that are ready to take on that mantle. You know, this isn't Ohio State. This isn't USC. This isn't Alabama. You know, when you look at UCLA over the last two years now, losing Greg Dulcich, Kyle Phillips, Jake Bobo, and Kaz Allen, there's a lot that has gone out the door from a receiver slash tight end slash primary ball catcher perspective. And so to see Cam Brown in particular, he, he flashed us with such brilliance in that Fresno state game last year. We didn't see it, but we saw the athleticism this year uh, in this game, that inside slant, there was that, that ball on the outside where he cut it upfield on the inside and got another 25 yards in terms of yards after catchability, found himself open, had the sense to find the soft spot in the zones. So very excited to see Cam as being a legitimate wide receiver one prospect. And then TMA being able to show his ability. This is what we were waiting for. In particular, his skill of being able to catch those contested balls and having that hand strength and the the overall arm strength to be able to muscle receive corners away and be able to make those contested catches. So I love the fact that those two guys are starting to show a bit of an identity in terms of who they're going to be in the receiving room. And then I love Loya off of the slot. You know, those curl routes are always there. He was able to break it for the big one, obviously, in that Utah game. It was a similar play uh, for that first touchdown. So I think Loya is also going to find a home here. I agree with you, Will. I think that there's going to be enough in this receiving room. And then when you sort of counter it with, with Harden and Keegan Jones and possibly an Atkins in the backfield, and then, you know, depending on who the quarterback is going to be, Look, the chip offenses are going to be able to score points. They're going to have to continue to be run first and then have the passing game off of that. But I think where we need to really see things moving forward, obviously all levels of the defense being able to replenish this offensive line and then what kind of quarterback player are we going to get? Are we going to get Garbers? Are we going to get the the great true freshmen and have to indulge some of those mistakes? Um, That's going to be the fascinating storyline for me next year. 
yeah, no, the quarterback battle, you know, who's going to step up in different spots? Does Latu come back? Does, you know, Moasau come back? Right? These storylines of the offseason, maybe some changes with the coaching staff, at least me that's speaking selfishly on this one. But, yeah, just a lot of different areas, man. And, you know, we've if you guys are just tuning in now, we've spent the first 20 minutes of this podcast just ripping UCLA, and deservedly so, just one of the worst losses I've seen as a fan of football in a lot of different ways. But Garbers, I I mean, we talked about this. You know, I go, this guy is one of, if not the best backup quarterbacks in the country. And when push came to shove, they need to get points. Garbers stepped up and made some plays, led them on the drive. You know, I think, I mean, it's fair to say, like, what percentage chance would you give Garbers to maybe win the starting job next year with Dante Moore? Because this guy's at least been in the complicated Chip Kelly system for some time. Chip clearly trusts him. He knows he can win with him if the defense is, you know, somewhat capable. Give me your thoughts on Garbers, man. Well, I think it's going to be a battle. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, we all know that Dante Moore is is the future of UCLA football. But how ready is he to take the keys to the kingdom as a true freshman? It's it's rare. I mean, even as as great as some of the prospects are, Bryce Young didn't start as a true freshman. Uh, you know, DJ Oliunglele didn't start as a true freshman at Clemson. And on and on we can go with the list. I think one of the big regrets of USC football was that they had to start Mark, Matt Barkley as a freshman in 2009. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of the Carroll run. So as talented as you are, it, it's always sort of a true freshman is a very big leap there. So I think Garbers has a chance. I, I would put it at probably a 40% chance he's got to, to unseat uh, Dante Moore uh, as that starter. And, and we'll see, It'll be interesting, Will, how Chip kind of takes the DTR experience also in that evaluation, where he's stuck with DTR from beginning to the end. Now, does he want to sort of replicate that relationship with Dante Moore and be with him attached at the hip from day one as a true freshman? Or does he feel like his learnings, his teachings, his relationship will be stronger in sophomore and junior year of Dante Moore's career if he's got the clipboard year one? So what's going to be interesting to me is not just even what Garbers can do on the field. I think we know what Garbers can do. I think he's got a very credible arm. I think the ball comes with zip. I think he's a good decision maker. He's certainly not the athlete that DTR was. So there's some limitations there when you talk about the RPO mesh and some of those concepts. But you know what you're getting. And and so the question for me with Chip is going to be, how does he want to evolve the Dante Moore relationship does he want to deviate it from what he did with DTR or does he want to kind of do more of the same and say, listen, I have to be hands on as the, the lab genius and the architect from day one. So I think we're going to get some really unique insights into Chip. And Will, one other thing I want to double click on as well is my ideal solution, long term solution for defensive coordinator for UCLA is in-house. I want to see Ken Norton Jr. ultimately take that reins and move forward because I think the key to having longevity and success with UCLA is you have to have guys that want to be here for 5, 10, 15 years. If you look at Terry Donahue was a UCLA alum, and so he wanted to be here. You look at Jerry Neuheisel with the pedigree of, of the Neuheisel family. He wants to be here. Deshaun Foster, he went to UCLA. Ken Norton Jr., a UCLA alum. You have to have that tie to the university where you're not thinking of this as a stepping stone job to something else in the SEC or the Big Ten 
or somewhere else. You want to have that time. You want to build a longevity because I believe Chip is going to be here for the foreseeable future. So to me, if there's an opportunity for Ken Norton Jr. to soak up more of this program over the course of the next year on McGovern's watch and take the experiences that he had at SC, take the experiences he had with the Seahawks, take the experiences he had as a player, and then put all of that together as the D.C. and with Foster, with New Heisel kind of coming up on this staff on both the offensive and defensive sides. That's how I see an 8, 10, 15-year run rather than going off after a hot name who then eventually is going to want to be a head coach pretty soon, and then you have that turnover. Yeah, and I think if there was anyone on the staff that I'd feel comfortable with turning that over to, I think Ken would be the guy. You know, NFL pedigree was D.C. and linebackers coach for USC under those Carroll teams that were very good. The most famous unit he was a part of was that Maluga, Cushing, Matthews team. So, yeah, I, I, I could talk myself into Norton. It just – it really boils down to who's coaching the secondary for me. Like, you figure that out. Uh, I trust Norton. But as long as you straighten that arrow and yeah. – you know, I think it'll be better. And, you know, I will say this. The guy that we talked about previously in the last pod that had a good game, uh, Davies, you know, and, it, you know, the interception was, you know, kind of just a toss. It's one thing to do that, but we've seen so many defenders just drop easy picks. It's yeah. one thing to say it, but he completed it. And then he had a huge pass breakup uh, yeah. in the first half on third down. So the lone bright spot, if you will, was there. But the guy I want to talk to you about, we may have seen the next great running back at UCLA make his staple on that last drive. If UCLA's defense just holds it, we have the guy. Like, TJ Harden's the player of the game. 11 carries, 111 yards, a touchdown, average 10.1 yards a carry. Had that awesome 34-yard run in, you know, to keep UCLA's drive going, and then he punched it in on the goal line. Harden looks like everything we look for in our next tailback. It, it's really exciting, at least just to have running back one under our belt. What did you think of the performance of Harden? Because I'm stoked on him for next year. I, lo I love him, Will. And you mentioned kind of the two runs on that last drive. I would argue those weren't even his best runs. I think his best run of the day was earlier in the game. I can't remember now if it was late third quarter or early fourth quarter, but UCLA had that third and 15, and they gave it to Harden on a draw play. And he, he, near, he broke four or five tackles and almost got the first down and set it up on a fourth and three. And you just saw every, the whole package on that run, his ability to run straight line, his ability to make lateral cuts, the quick feet. He reminds me a lot of Deshaun Foster in terms of that upright running style, very smooth. And I think that he's going to be the, the centerpiece of this offense next year. And when you put him together with the Keegan Jones, who's so electric out of the backfield as a receiver with that track star speed, you've got your every down back in Harden, your track star in Keegan Jones, and your hammer on short yardage red zone situations with either an Atkins or Yankoff. Look, the running game is going to be in great hands next year, and I think Harden is setting himself up for a 1,000-plus yard, 1,200-yard type of season next year, and I think we can clearly see it. He's, he's built the right way. He, guys fall off of him in terms of tacklers. He's not the violent runner that Charbonnet. He isn't, he isn't the guy that's going to just – destroy your front seven and pop it out to the outside he's much smoother but he almost looks effortless will every 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 carry looks very effortless and you sort of turn around and you're like wow it's six yards wow it's eight yards so really excited about Harden he, he as I mentioned he reminds me a little bit of Deshaun Foster he actually reminds me a little bit 
of Ooh. a young Eric Dickerson too, with that upright, that straight up running, style, yeah, that straight running style, and you know the head always up. And there was always that joke with Eric Dickerson that you could put like a glass of milk on his head, and and you know not a drop would spill. And I get, I always get that feeling with Harden. He's always just so upright and smooth, so, so straight Exactly. A little bit of Foster, a little bit of, of of the great Eric Dickerson. So really excited to see him put a whole season together next year. Yeah, and you took the point I was going to make. He almost runs like a superhero runs or like Tom Cruise <laughs> runs in those movies where it's just straight line and it's just it's a graceful run and it's fun to watch. So I if there is one thing to get excited about this, you know, terrible terrible loss, it is the Harden, you know, coming in next year in the receiving room. But that pretty much concludes the live stream. Uh, we're definitely not going to do game balls after a game like that. Um, you know, a tough one to, you know, kind of swallow going into the offseason. But this brings, uh, you know, a reason for us to look forward to next season. We're, we're going to try to, you know, mend this loss coming in next year with maybe a new starting quarterback that's a five-star. There's still a lot of good things to look forward to. We're heading to the freaking Big Ten in two years, which is a phenomenal conference. Yes, this loss sucks and it was painful, but a lot of good things to look forward to. Happy holidays to everyone that follows yes. LA Football Network. Stay tuned. We got some great stuff coming on. Uh, Madman, any parting thoughts for our viewers? I think we've had quite a few. A lot of the comments are negative and I cannot put them up, uh, you know. Yeah. But yeah, what do, what do you got for us, man? No, I, I, you know, I just want to sort of close out the season by saying, you know, let's, let's kind of take the, the bigger picture in mind, A, on the field. Uh, this isn't the ending that we wanted, but again, this is now five consecutive years that Chip has won more games than he did the previous year. Winning percentages improved five consecutive years. The running back, the baton from Charbonnet to Harden and Jones looks very firm. We talked about the receiving room. We talked about the tight end room. I think we really love what the culture has been instituted in terms of offensive line and finding those gems and, and, and having the right coach in place there. This QB battle is going to be really the dominant storyline going into the spring. And then how can we sort of shore up this defense? Jerry Ozanero was public enemy number one, and Bill McGovern has graciously, uh, you know, taken that baton from him now and uh, ready to get tarred and feathered in a public square over the next five or six months uh, until we – decide Who where we can i be a part of the tarring and feathering yeah. that's all i ask yeah but, you know, so, but still a lot to be optimistic about i i firmly believe the best is yet to come in the chip kelly era because i think he's now got his system in place in terms of the type of players he's got his strategy in place he's got his quarterback in place and now unlike those mora years where we had a couple of good years together but it was with new heisel's quarterback SC was on sanctions. There was a bubble scenario. Chip has sort of paved the road really nicely. I think the best is yet to come. And I'm very, very excited about things moving forward. And the other thing, I want to shout out our LAFB community. And really just thanks so much to all of you for the engagement this year. You guys have been so terrific coming on live with us. I know, Will, you've had wonderful conversations on Twitter and interactions. I've had wonderful conversations on Twitter. I've even had wonderful conversations with you guys on LinkedIn, you know, which is, uh, which as an Indian, that's like our, you know, social platform, you know, but it's, uh, uh, you know, so just so gracious for you guys reaching out to us. We are one big Bruin nation, one big Bruin family, and we are growing this community right before our very eyes. So for me, yes, 
the on-the-field stuff really, really matters. We bleed blue and gold. But also to see this community grow in the last 12 months, the last 15 months has been really special. And so thank you so much to all of our listeners, all of our followers for staying on this journey with us. The best is yet to come in 2023. Tell your friends, there's always room in the community. There's always room in the family. There's always room on the bandwagon to join us. And let's make it even bigger and better in 23. Wishing you guys a very happy and safe and prosperous new year. And we will see you on the other side of 2023 with laughs, with tears, with screams, with elation, and just the whole gamut of emotion. And that's what makes college football so special. And that's what makes being a Bruin so special. And I couldn't say it better myself. You guys have a safe New Year's Eve. uh, And we will be talking to you guys in the new year. Go Bruins. Tough loss, but it's not a tough life. We got everything ahead of us. Take it easy, guys.